Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the H2P Podcast here on DK Sports Radio. I'm your host, Chris Carter. And, of course, we're talking all things Pitt Panthers here on a Thursday. Now, Jeff Capel, we know it got really real. Now, it's crazy. Yes, Last week when I did this show, I did this knowing that Xavier Johnson had transferred and thinking like, wow, that was crazy. Can't get any crazier than that, right? <laughs> and then Adi's Tony gets transferred the very next day. And I'm sitting here like, oh boy. Um, and at the time, it really looked like, man, Cable's in trouble. A lot of people were looking at like, wow, these are, I mean, that means basically his entire first class of, you know, top line players are gone. Trey McGowan's, who left last year, X, who who left last week, and then Adis, who left last week. But, you know, a lot of people were out here saying addition by subtraction and this, that, and the third. But I really think this has all been about Jeff has a direction for the program. He has a style of play that he wants to stick to. And we've seen that style of play. Aggressive defense. Fight for the rebounds, even when you're outsized in in the paint. Outwork your opponent and let the rest take care of itself. And when they were working that and they were 8-2, 4-1 in the ACC, the reason that was working was because they were buying into it. And occasionally if their shooting was off, you know, they kind of lose their way. But that was when the team was buying into it. And then when the losing started, you saw the wheels start to come off that. But something that Jeff Capel has said uh, more than a few times now, and he's correct when he brings this up. You know, when people talk about, you know, oh, man, it's been so rough for Pitt and they've been so bad. And yes, their record's not good. They're 10 and 10 now. But what what, what I'm looking at when I see Pitt is what Jeff brings up is that, you know, we've only had one game where we've been out of it. And that, of course, was the Notre Dame game. Every other game, they've been fighting towards the end. And I give him credit for that. Now, granted, as a Pitt fan, you're probably sitting there like, well, it'd be nice to win more of those. And you're absolutely right. It would be. But let's look at a lot of the times when Pitt would fall back in those moments. There'd be times where Audie's Tony would disappear. When I say disappear, I just mean like, you know, we see we, we see what what happens when he when he drives to the hoop and when you work him into the offense and he, he starts to make plays then he starts to when he shows up he's there I mean, he averaged fourteen points a game but there were plenty of times he'd be 
just not effective. Xavier Johnson, you know, we've talked a lot about what X what X is and who 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 he wants to be. When he's on it and his explosiveness is working and he can he's hitting his shots, great. But when he's trying to do too much, he creates a lot of problems more often than not. And in doing that, it offsets everything of what Jeff Capel is trying to do on offense. Let's be realistic. Uh, we know that Justin Champagny is one of the, 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 the best scorers in the ACC. He, he lost the title of uh, leading, being the leading scorer in the ACC this week to Matthew Hurd of Duke. But he's still you know fighting out there for that title. We'll see if he gets it with, you know, with how Pitt finishes against Clemson. But through all that, at some point, you had to look at it and say, man, the offense should kind of go through him. And there'd be so many times where there'd be those stretches where the offense wasn't going through him or not even trying to. And then we saw those lulls, and the lulls would then leak over on defense, and guys wouldn't be hustling as much and not communicating as much and not getting on their man as much. And you saw more people fly off of fly off of screens and uh, and working the pick and roll and getting loose against Pitt and getting easy baskets, and that led to a lot of their losses. I'm, that's what led to their action to the time that they did lose to Wake Forest, and they beat Wake Forest this time because a good defense can get you through beating the bad teams, and it's also the foundation, I think of how the, the best basketball programs are built. Look at Virginia. They're all about defense. That is all they've been about for quite some time, and it's built who they are. And now, when they get those athletes that can score, now the defense and the hustling and the boxing out and everything you're doing there, now it's taken to the nth degree. But sometimes there's, there's players who... Think you know? Well, the focus is I need to get my shot off. I need to get this, and I need to get that. And then it stops. And when and you hear what I said there, I said I, I, I. That is where I think some of the mistakes have come from Pitt. And Jeff, Jeff kind of went into it after the Wake Forest win. We're on the Zoom, and he's talking. He's talking to us about you know what what had what had happened. And he brought up you know after the Duke game, he said it became about Pitt winning and it stopped being about doing the things that got us to win and I think that what he's talking about is for his players and what they were focusing on they were focusing on like hey you know you know we got to get this win and so you know X would you know, would, would try to take take on these, these crazy tasks that would put a lot of put a lot of stress on him to have to beat three guys and you'd see that's where mistakes come. But if you stay focused to what you're being coached, you'll trust that on the other end of it, you'll come out better for it, and you'll most likely win the game. They almost pulled that off against NC State in their first game. I think that would have been a huge statement win for the program after the, you know just just days after you know, two of your top three scores left you. You're out here beating a team that beat you before. But partially that's what the Wake Forest win was. A team that was draining three-pointer after three-pointer against Pitt. And what what really hurt Pitt in their first Wake Forest loss was the fact that when Masood and all the guys at Wake Forest, when they were hitting, when they were hitting their threes, Pitt went into a, a rut. 
because they had a lead on Wake Forest in that game, but then they went into a rut, they got frustrated, and they allowed that frustration to seep over on both ends. More open shots happened, and then you had, had Masood hitting eight three-pointers. I think the team hit 15 overall. But in this game, even though they did hit three-pointers, I think they ended up with 10 in this last game, there was no lull. And sure, I mean, the, the offense was not good in that game. Pitt still needs consistent scores. That's why they got to go get in this transfer portal. We'll talk about that later. But there, there, still was a, there still was a sense that, hey, Pitt's not asleep right now. The other team couldn't, Wake Forest couldn't go on 10-0 runs. And they kept they kept Wake Forest in check, and that allowed when Pitt's offense did start to click, when Nike Sabande was hitting his shots, when Justin Champagne got got hot late in the game, they were able to pull away from them instead of trying to catch up to Wake Forest, and that's where I think the difference has been these last two games. Now, granted, these are just two games. I am I am one person who, you know, when I see positivity, I'm like it's great, but it's the same response I have with negativity. I said, you know what? Let's see if this becomes a trend. And one thing that we know has been a trend for Pitt is they would they, whenever they played good or bad teams, there were plenty of games where they'd be they'd be playing and they'd be digging digging into those guys and they'd be giving it to them, and then all of a sudden they would just disappear. They fall into a rut. Team would get frustrated, and then at the end of the side of it, uh, the other team has like a, a 10, 12 point lead, and then eventually Pitt catches on in the last couple minutes hits some shots, gets on a run, and then they're competing for it, and at the end, they either get it down to the last shot, or they fail, all to, they, 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 or they, they eventually, the other team snaps out, snaps them out of their run, and takes control of the lead. We didn't see that in NC State or in Wake Forest, and granted, they lost to NC State. But when I look at this pit team, I see the potential for them to understand that these lessons. I'm going to explain more about where they need to go and what parts of this Jeff Capel has to address right after this break. Back here on the H2P podcast here on DK Sports Radio, I'm your host, Chris Carter. Continuing to talk about this, and I know we, we, we've done a lot of focus on pit hoops. The season's almost over for you pit football fans. We'll be getting to talk about the NFL draft, recruiting, all this other stuff. We'll have plenty of time for that in the offseason, but pit basketball is still being played, so we're focusing on that. Now, with pit hoops, with the guys who we're seeing, you know, we talked about how the trio of McGowan's, Johnson, and Tony are gone. But there's a trio currently on the roster who Jeff Capel cannot afford to have the same thing happen. And I think, you know, whether or not it's that X wanted to leave or Jeff wanted them to leave, you know, whether or not that's the case, I think that the the ultimate objective of this end to this season has been that Jeff cannot lose Femi Odakale, William Jeffress, and Noah Collier the way that he lost those three. Now, I'm sure a lot of people say, well, none of them are like, you know, the way Trey and X burst out into the scene. Well, yeah, because Trey and X were immediately starters. There was no one to press them. There were no veterans to put them in check. 
And, and you need that. And I've said this before on this very show. You need, when you get these college kids to come into a, a D1 program, you need that vet. Because when, when a kid comes to a D1 program, they, are, they were the man wherever they were at. You know, as good as someone may think that they were in the street of basketball and you're like, well, I could make that free throw or I could do that. Understand that these kids were the dudes that, you know, you grew up around who you were like, nah, that was the one dude I wouldn't mess with. You know, like for me at Mellon Park, you know, when, when you saw somebody, you're like, oh, I ain't messing with that dude. You know, everybody knew who, where DeJuan Blair was. That's how good these kids are. When they go to the D1 program, that's where you're like, man. You know, like uh, a, guy who's very, a guy who's very cool with me, um, Marcus Robinson. He played basketball order dice. I knew, like, you know, I knew I could, like, play a little bit in gym class, and I could play, you know, I could play with my, my boys on, on the court, but you knew how bad, how bad Marcus was as soon as he stepped on the court, because he was another le- level. Marcus wasn't a super D1 athlete the way these guys are. And I'm sure, I'm, I bring up him, because he's a heck of a ball player, and, and a guy that I've looked up to, with, you know, because he was older than me when I was in high school, but... um Imagine that person in your life. If you've ever played hoops and you saw that guy on the court that you're like, he's on a completely different level than me. That's who all these these guys are in different parts of the country. They were the guys who you looked at and you're like, man, they're on a different level. And imagine the ego that comes with that. And this goes for most sports when you get to this level. You're coming and thinking, I'm the dude. And I think football, it's harder to do that because football is a is such a big team sport where it's 11 on 11. Like, you know, when a lineman comes in, like, they may think they're big and bad, but they know that they, they they've, there's much better chances for you to interact with someone else who is big and bad around you and you to understand that you need to be part of that culture. Basketball, it's a little bit harder because there's five dudes on, on the court at the same time. And especially in high school, you're lucky if you get one player like that on your team. You're insanely lucky if you get two. So a lot of these guys, when they come, when they come to Pitt or, you know, whatever program they're getting to, you need a veteran on the squad who's like that, who has been through the the war stories and has experienced the frustrations of getting to D1 and not understanding what it takes to, 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 you know, to adjust to that culture. You need someone to push them. And that's where I think that Xavier Johnson, Audis Tony, and Trey McGowan's were just not able to reap an advantage there. Because... There was, you know, when Brent, like, and I, I, you know, someone, people always compare us to Ben Howland because he was the guy that flipped Pitt into the competitive mode it did when they opened up the Pete. But when Ben Howland recruited and got Brandon Knight and Donna Savakis, the two early building blocks of the, you know, the group uh, that went to several six sweet 16s in a row, they had Ricardo Greer, they had all sorts of veterans on the team because the team wasn't in the crater that it was when Kevin Stallings was, was the coach. And there was a lot of things that, that Ben Howland could build upon with those veterans to, to pave the way for his recruits. Capel never had that. Look at it right now. We're three years in. The only guy that, that stuck around from the Stallings era was Terrell Brown. And again, it's Terrell Brown. And he deserves a lot of credit, a ton of credit, for sticking around through the worst of the Stalling years, through the rebuild that Capel's gone through. And knowing that most likely this this year he wasn't going to see a lot of time. He deserves all that credit and more. But Terrell isn't the superstar guy that can that can look at Xavier Johnson and be like, yo, Rook, you don't know what it takes to be here. I'll school you on this. And that's where I think that 
unfortunately, Jeff Capel's first class didn't have somebody to do that. So when they came in, they thought they were the big and bads, and that was it. But let's look at the two classes since then. I mean, the biggest part of last year's class was Justin Champagny. And he seems to not only buy into it, he gets it. And he pushes himself. And he knows that he has to improve. And even in that, that NC State game, when he was getting knocked to the ground, he got a technical for simply complaining. He got a technical for, for slapping the backboard. Also, for those who didn't know, and I, I didn't know this at the time, it's, slapping the backboard isn't deemed an unsportsmanlike technical, so it doesn't count as one to get you out of the game. It's very weird. I never heard that rule before. But, hey, learning learning here. Um, but, you know, when Justin, when you saw him talk with the refs, you, you saw him say, my bad. You saw him accept responsibility. I think that's because when he came into the program, there were guys that, you know, maybe he didn't look up to, but there were guys who could put him in check and say, like, hey, we've been here. Even if it's only been a year, we've been here. And now this crew that's here, we're only just now seeing William Jeffress. Femi Odakali, this was his third start in the season. Maybe his second or third. I might be mixing that up. But they've all had people that they've had to work behind. And guys who, you know, when they tried to be the man in practice or in a game, there's been someone to put them in check like, you ain't the man. At least not yet. Maybe you will be someday. But this, these are the steps you got to take. And what Jeff Capel keeps saying about William Jeffers, he, he, he started this story on Monday on our ACC coaches call, and then he talked more about it in the post-game call or the post-game Zoom after Wake Forest. But he talked about William Jeffers and how William Jeffers, as a player, as, as, as a young man, he's 17 years old. He said what most impressed him about William Jeffers was the fact that as a freshman, and he says, really, as any player, he came to Jeff Capel and said, Coach, I don't know how to work. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does that even mean? Jeffers, and he explained it to us as well. William Jeffers was like, you know, all my life, my dad ran my drills. I didn't have to think about what I had to do. He just lined me up, told me to do it, and I did it. Now, that ain't there for me. And I can do the stuff in team drills all I want, but I don't have the individual things that I can do in my own time, and I need help with that. And Jeff Capel was astounded by that. Why? Because he's like, you know, this kid, he's 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 not complaining when he comes to the coach. He's not telling me, hey, it needs to be this way, or I, I hate this, or I hate that. He's saying, what do I need to do to improve my game? I think that's a big sign of the kind of character that William Jeffers has, is to, to ask that question first. And it's a big sign that maybe, even with that first group of guys who didn't get that the you know the guys to put them in check maybe they were enough of that presence to help these younger guys get that experience for Femi Udakali who who is confident like I'll I'll, tell, I'll tell you this if Femi he's not he's not as expressive with it as Xavier is at times but Femi believes in himself oh Femi's a bad dude um like like he like you know he he's he's from Brooklyn he don't. You know, he and he he's he's ready to make his statement, but he also knows that he has to play into his role. He also knows that he's not the man. Again, at least yet. And I think that's a real thing that every coach, when you have to rebuild, especially in college, when it's not like you're not dealing with professionals, you're dealing with with student athletes, with kids. You need someone to help set the tone in that locker room. And Jeff Keeble even says that that needed to happen for him when he was at Duke. And when you've had a program set up for a long time, 
even when you transition coaches, you usually have those players who can set the tone and make it for everyone else. I'm interested to see, and this will, be, and I think this is this is why you know for the people I, I saw people in the comment section were like, man, maybe this just ain't it. Maybe Capel needs to go. We don't, we're not even close to seeing that yet. What I need to see is how this next group of freshmen do. How do they develop? Can he get them to develop the way Justin did? Because Justin right now, whether he goes to the NBA or not, he has bought into what Jeff Capel's teaching, and he's gotten him to be an all-ACC type of player. That's astounding. Now, if Capel can work that into, you know, two dudes of this of this class right here. And then bring in, you know, we yeah, they haven't recruited anybody yet, but if they bring that in with more guys next year, then we're talking about building. Then we're talking about every year he's got veterans that are sticking around to set the tone for the new recruiting class to come in and learn what it's supposed to be. And then you have a program. Then you're you're going to find more ways to win games, but it all starts with having those guys to stick around and understand that that's part of the mission, that that's part of the program. And I think that's where Jeff Capel is right now. He needs guys to to understand that. And maybe Tony and X did. I'm not saying that they did or didn't, but it, it to me it doesn't seem like they did if they're, if they're leaving. And they may have their right, and they have they, they do have their right. They may they may have their reasons that are legitimate in different ways. We don't know. But for Jeff Capel, he has to make sure that the, the these guys that he has in here right now don't exit. Because if, if Femi and Collier and Jeffress leave before they're done, unless they're drafted, that's one story. But if, if they're transferring, if, if it, that, that, that would be the end of, of Jeff Capel's tenure. But it takes a whole lot to dig them to dig a program out of the crater that Kevin Stallings left it. And I think that's where people misunderstand the situation the Panthers are in. So as we see them end this season, they'll play Clemson this weekend. An away game against a tough team. I don't think they'll win. What I'm looking for out of them is to hustle, play hard defense. You know, work work to get rebounds, put make this a fight, and show that they still believe in what Capel's teaching them, even when things start to go wrong in this game, and don't have those lulls that they fall in that they fell into all year. They do that and go to this ACC tournament. Maybe they pick up a win. If it'd be a miracle if they picked up two wins, but they do that they'll set themselves up for next year and then Jeff Cable has to get into the transfer portal and start grabbing some dudes that are from other schools that are that are bouncing around as well as find himself some freshmen for next year. And all that has to be around the idea that one you're hoping that Justin Champagne stays. You they'll get Nike Sabanda to stay. He says he wants to stay. Jeff says, you know, there's a chance that means he's staying. And then around that you still develop build this this freshman class into the building blocks that help you get this team back into serious ACC contention I think Jeffress has the make he certainly has the defensive wherewithal the way he's stepping up on certain plays I like that about him I think Femi has the under the IQ to play point card and he has the build he I think he just needs to learn how to develop his own shot a little bit better I haven't seen enough of Noah Collier I'm not going to say who or what that kid is until I, I see more of him 
But it, it, even if those two are just the guys, I think that the pit's in a really good spot moving forward. And Jeff Capels has said at, at all points when we've given him a chance, like, is this a rough spot? And he's like, no, where this is not a rough spot for the team. It's not. Uh, he's like, our program is headed in the right direction. He's had that confidence. And, you know, a lot of people were like, okay, that sounds like whistling through the graveyard. But it don't sound like whistling the grave the graveyard with the way that they play at the end of this season. So that's what all we have for you, for you here today on the H2P Podcast. I'm Chris Carter on DK Sports Radio. Subscribe to us. Give us a five-star rating and positive comment. We appreciate you. Be back in your ears more with a lot more Pittsburgh sports very soon.